You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have uh, Dr. Rory Raymond, resident sleep expert and VP of Sleep Science and Scientific Affairs at Sleep Score Labs. Uh, Dr. Raymond holds a PhD in life sciences from uh, Freie University, Amsterdam, and was recognized in the Netherlands uh, with an award of best thesis in sleep medicine. And his uh, research spans more than 25 years. Uh, he's been in multiple peer-reviewed journals, speaking events, etc., and holds several patents. So uh, thanks for coming, Dr. Roy. How are you doing? I'm actually doing great. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Oh, good. And it's uh, it's four o'clock here in the U.S. where I'm at, so I hope it's not too late for you and it doesn't disturb your your normal sleep time. Speaking of sleep. Yeah, luckily I'm based now in the U.S. as well, so as I'm in oh, San good. Diego, so for me it's uh, it's midday as well. Oh, good. Okay. Well, very good. Tell me um, what's, uh, what got you into the world of sleep? What got you interested in it? Yes, actually, that that goes back quite some time. So I was actually doing my what I consider my first PhD, and that was related to um, finding uh, biological causes for uh, burnout. So when people get burnout, uh, so you know it, they cannot go to work anymore, um, they are improductive, and then most of the time what happens, they just stay at home being sick for a while. And... Um, I was working on that project and I was doing a secondary data analysis on a big data set that was already gathered by a colleague. And I had the opinion at that time that the best thing to get well rested and to get back on your feet the next day is sleep. So I was, I was going through that sleep data or to the data set that uh, my colleague researcher uh, collected. And I found out that there was a lot about heart rate and cortisol and stress hormones but there was no really data in the data set related to sleep. And that kind of surprised me again. So with the background, like, hey, the body kind of recuperates during the nighttime. And I did a little bit dive into that topic. And what I found out is that it's actually very hard to measure sleep. So most researchers so just ask a single question, how was your sleep quality? Um, and that's already a very strange question because you ask people to rate something that they are actually unconscious about and because we're not conscious about what happens in our sleep. Um, 
So that's not a very valid measure. And then the true measurement for sleep is a very obtrusive one. So you need to have sensors mounted to your brain and to your face. And, and so, and that's a, a kind of a very elaborate way of measuring sleep, but it's the gold standard huh, because sleep is a brain state. Um, so that got me kind of interested in like, hey, how can we actually measure sleep in a better way? Yeah, so not doing the questionnaires, but also not doing that kind of elaborate work huh, with the sensors on your head, which is called polysomnography. Um, and are there technologies available uh, that can bring a better picture? And also, are there any technologies available that actually can give me a picture of what happens every single night and, and because that data was also lacking. So that's actually where it all started. So looking at the data set, finding out, hey, we lack some data on, I think, what is the key aspect in solving this scientific quest. And so, and then um, um, rolling into like, oh, now I know why this is a niche because there's nothing much around. So uh, how did this lead to uh, the Sleep Score Labs and the Sleep Score itself? Yeah, so that's that's so I'm now talking about more than 20 years ago. So there has been a long, uh, long, long, long way since then. So, but actually, I came across the technology that SleepScore is using already 10 years ago, and I kind of found out like, wow, that's a really great way of measuring sleep because SleepScore is using a technology that's not connected to your body. And uh, we all know that sleep is also related to comfort. Uh, so you need to be comfortable in your bed. Your bedding needs to be soft, and it needs to be the right temperature. So um, having a measurement that not involves sensors on your brain or actually sensors worn on your wrist or sensors actually in your bed, that was very appealing to me. So, And that's what SleepScore Labs is now still carrying. It's a measurement that it's on your nightstand and is actually doing a non-contact way of measuring sleep. Um, and it took us 13 years to develop those algorithms because sleep is a brain process. Of course, whatever happens in your brain uh, will also have an effect on other parameters in your body, like breathing and like movement. And it took us 13 years to kind of develop the algorithms that kind of correctly has so get all those features has so from non-brain signals and translated into sleep. Because that's what our sensor do is doing, whether it's the sensor that's in the phone, uh, so which is the sleep score app that uses sonar technology or whether it's a hardware device, which is just standing on your nightstand next to your bed. What we do is we send a wave to you, either it's a radio frequency wave or a sound wave that bounces back to us, to the, to the device. And then we measure the motion and we measure the full breathing signal. And from that signal, with a lot of data processing, we can derive how you sleep. Okay. So what's uh, what is it looking at specifically? Is it somehow monitoring your brain waves, or is it just an accelerometer like the Fitbit? Or you know, what are the you know without going into proprietary stuff, what's the ways in which it monitors you? Oh yes, no. So so I can uh, elaborate a little bit more on that one. So um, the sleep stages so are of course derived by brain waves. And sorry, there is actually no way that you can measure brain waves without contact. Uh, so on the skill, so no, we're not measuring your brain waves, but we're measuring actually the movement of your body and the micro-movement of your body, but also the micro-movement of the chest cavity. And the great thing in doing so with this radar frequency technology or has so with the uh, sonar technology is that you can actually pick up very 
sensitive uh, those movements or even micro movements can be collected. And believe it or not, but what you can collect is uh, your breathing signal, so the movement of your chest cavity. You can also uh, have the gross motion of your body and also the micro motion of your body. And if we're lucky, so we don't capture that for uh, the full night, you can even see your heart rate. Because if you look very carefully to a body, uh, so mm. of course you see, see the chest going up and down. Uh, so and if you really look very carefully, you can't even see the heartbeat. But that's really a micro motion. So um, the heartbeat, can... you would see what? Because the skin in certain parts of your body pulses a tiny, tiny amount? It's, it's mainly what we look at is it's truly pointed at the chest. Uh, so because there you can see it most prominent because that's where your heart is and that's where your lungs are kind of uh, making that the, the, the chest cavity go up and down. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, in order to do that, though, the person would have to lay on their back. I mean, what if they turn onto their side or they throw the blanket over them or, you know, are those motions <laughs> translated through being covered? No, that, that's a great, I said, that's a great, the, the, the great, good of this technology, RF just penetrates to and just bounces off your body. And so you're truly measuring, you're truly measuring the body. So it's, um, and, and so it's mostly reflecting, of course, where the water content is. So the water content is merely the body. So that's what you're, what you're measuring. So it's, uh, when you see the first time, it's kind of amazing whether you use it on the phone or with our sleep score hardware device called Max. And uh, so you're just in front of your telephone or you're, and uh, so next to the device and you're just breathing and you see that it actually captures your breathing. And uh, so, and, um, and so you know, you don't need to be in a certain position. And uh, so to, to measure it reliable, reliable. Um, this may be a silly question, but does our skull block transmission of our brainwaves outside of our head? Is there any way you could, uh, you know, read someone's brainwaves without being right on their scalp? Yeah, so it, it has been tried many, many times, uh, So, but nobody succeeded so far. Uh, so it's mainly also because uh, whatever the brain had transmits is, is, is very low power. And then, of course, you have the disturbance of, of the skull as a, a kind of isolator property. And then again, even if we put a sensor head, so on your brain, uh, so what you kind of try to do is, and that the, the technology is called EEG or electroencephalography. And uh, so what you actually are doing at that moment is, uh, so standing on the Eiffel Tower, and uh, so just putting the microphone and trying to catch up the conversations of the people that are on the ground floor at the Eiffel Tower. So that's impossible. So you will get a global picture, but you never get has some real great information from those kind of recordings. So that's why you need to have more sensors uh, so on your brain to even be uh, able to tell something about your brain state. But I know it's speculation, but yeah. the fact that you can see a micro movement of someone's chest and tell, you know, their heart rate, I wonder if, um, I don't know, I, again, it's just speculation, yeah. but I wonder if brain waves make the skull vibrate slightly or influence its... Uh, I don't know, influence it somehow yeah, and that yeah, can no. be picked up yeah, outside of the head. Yeah, yeah, but believe me, but I cannot disclose too much so about that because uh, that is all the work that uh, is going on, I think, in different labs at, that mo at this moment as well. And so all the attempts that have tried to capture it with different kind of sensor technologies that would be reasonable until this moment kind of failed. Maybe if we come back to this Earth, so in 100 years, we have this kind of new technology, but for now with what we know and how we can sense, it, it, it's not possible yet. 
So, okay, um, how does this compare to the Fitbit or those other devices? You know, how much better is it than, you know, versus just using, like I said, accelerometers or whatever they use to measure sleep? Yeah, I think um, to kind of highlight this is um, it's dependent on how many information your tracker is using. And um, what I try to say is if you have a tracker that only uses accelerometer, they actually only can tell you something about uh, sleep versus wake. So they cannot say anything about whether you were in light sleep or in REM sleep or in deep sleep. So that's already has, so that's the fact uh, because we cannot classify those stages only based on motion. They seem to say, they seem to know that the stage of sleep you're in. So they just <clears throat> making it up or how are they inferring it is your guess? Yeah. And so, um, they, they 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 put a classifier huh, so on 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 top of the different different motion levels huh? but the great thing is um the true trackers that are validated that only using accelerometry has huh, so uh, only give you the output in sleep versus wake so and that are brands like Actigraph and the Philip Actiwatch and they don't overstate anything because they know the limitation of their their technology so uh, what we know sometimes from other brands is that they don't care that much about what the gold standard is. Uh, so And they just say like, okay, we figure out that it's light sleep and deep sleep. And most of the time they do not classify REM sleep. And if you go into a conversation with those developers, you ask them, why did you do, didn't you do REM sleep? It said, because we cannot detect it. And I said like, okay, that's interesting because uh, sleep is kind of built up and going from going from wake, then falling into light sleep, then going into deep sleep, and then going into REM sleep. And that's a cycle of 90 minutes. And then you have that three or four times repeated over the night. So REM sleep is an essential part of your of your sleep. Um, but some of the trackers have, just don't track it. And in the conversation, I asked, like, but where does that sleep go? And they said, like, oh, yeah, probably it goes in, partly into light sleep and deep sleep. So... From a perspective of what truly is happening in the brain, and so those kind of trackers don't bring you the information that is actually factual correct if you compare it to a gold standard. I'm um, sure, yeah, I'm sure. So you have, of course, uh, different um, sensors right now, like, for instance, the, the, the newest wearables of Fitbit, um, and actually these collect heart rate and motion and if you have heart rate and motion, then you're already able to estimate sleep stages. So light sleep and deep sleep and REM sleep. So if you have breathing, like like sleep score does, and so emotion, you also can do it. So if you have all three, you probably even better have so in doing so. But none of the devices have uh, that, that are around now have all three measures. So um, the performance of the devices is totally related on the amount of time spent on the algorithms because that's not easy to translate again those brain features into so motion features and breathing features and heart rate features. Um, and for us, we say that we are proud that we are a non-contact device, so you don't need to wear it. And we also always make our uh, agreement results with the gold standards uh, available to the public, and if possible, we publish them in, in scientific journals. So you can go to our website and you can go to scientific journals and uh, we can show you as tested independently that we have an agreement with the gold standard of approximately 85%. So, and that's what I think that the that's people should know 
if you want to use a tracker either for personal use or for research use, go to the website or go to the vendor and ask like, hey, did you ever validate your tracker? And if so, can you share the results? Because you want to know how it performs against the gold standard. Sure. So what are the uses for this tracker? What can it see? And what are some interesting things that you're hearing reports from the field or that you guys are observing about it? Yeah. So one of the biggest surprises has so when I was well, was starting in this field because I did a lot of lab work previously related to sleep. And so what in general a lab test would do you get a subject, so you wire them up with all those sensors, they sleep in your lab, and then the next day they go home, and that's how you measure sleep, um, which is a little bit typical, or I should better say it's atypical, because people sleep with sensors on their head, and also people uh, sleep not in their normal bed, uh, so not with their partner, so you get a kind of atypical picture of their sleep. And when I actually moved into uh, to sleep score labs, and I saw this big, big data because we already have millions of nights of data. I saw a kind of sleep that I actually never saw in the in, in the studies that I did before. You had people waking up at night, people going really late to bed at night, and so people really only sleeping or trying to be in bed for seven hours. And so, um, which is kind of interesting because we know your body needs approximately seven hours of sleep to kind of recuperate from whatever happened throughout the day, but seven hours in bed doesn't equal seven hours of sleep. So, so I think that was one of the, 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 the biggest things so that I, I found very interesting to see is normal studies in academia have limited amount of data of limited nights and then also do a spot measurement. So they, they measure once and then there might be an intervention and then they measure for a second time. With these kind of technology, we have data for people really has so night after night for, for at this moment for over four years already. So you get a totally different view of sleep and a totally different picture because you can actually see how sleep develops over time. And last year we did a big data analysis, which was also kind of interesting. We took two million nights of our data set and we were doing some fancy analysis on uh, uh, some of the variables that were mostly uh, reflecting uh, their behavior uh, in terms of uh, uh, alcohol consumption or cigarettes and whether they were tired and how many times they were doing exercising and whether they were facing sleep problems. So that is the data that we capture with sleep score labs as well. So we put it in a very big analysis and based on that, we got eight clusters of people in our data set. And then we projected that to sleep. And um, it was kind of interesting to see that those eight different groups based on parameters like exercise and BMI and, 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 and uh, age and gender um, also showed different sleep. And what we found, and that was the most striking finding, the group that had the poorest sleep was the group that uh, smoked. So that was the key feature of the group with the poorest sleep, or actually the group well, that... One, one question, what does poorest sleep mean? Number of times they woke up or their, their yeah, it uh, was, assessment that they slept poorly? Yeah, for us, it's uh, all based on objective measured data. So, and the definition of poor sleep is that you have a short total time uh, sleeping at night. So you have limited REM sleep, you have limited deep sleep, but you also have a lot of awakenings throughout the night, and it takes a long time to fall asleep. 
So, so when we calculate the sleep score, which is our consumer-facing uh, sleep metrics, so these are the factors that we kind of calculate in. So how long does it take you to fall asleep? How long do you actually sleep? And how long do you spend awake throughout the night? Right. And what the distribution of the, di- the the three different sleep phases? Okay, so you saw so, smokers so, had the worst yeah. time sleeping. What else did you see? Yeah, so so that was kind of striking. So you can kind of say, yeah, so you can already think of a kind of behavioral intervention. Yeah, so if a doctor sees a smoker and it has a uh, and the, the patient also has a poor sleep, you might actually ask them yeah, so on a long run yeah, so to kind of see whether they can can quit smoking. So um, so that was one of the biggest findings from that study. Yeah, so we saw actually three clusters yeah, so that were healthy mostly reflecting the age. So we had younger people, mid, uh, mid-age people, and older people that all had great sleep, sleep. And then we had five clusters that mainly had had poorer sleep, and some were related to sleep disorders, and some were related to um, yeah to other health issues. So, but again, nobody in the field did ever a study on two million nights. So, and I think that's also kind of showing where this kind of big data uh, so can lead to and. It was very good to see that actually another group in the Netherlands did the kind of same exercise, but then for uh, people that had insomnia, and they found out that uh, there was a huge overlap in the groups that they found, and so in symptoms of insomnia and um, uh, anxiety traits, so that partially, uh, so the anxiety was kind of um, hallmark of starting the insomnia symptoms. That makes sense. People that have anxiety have insomnia anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. No. It's it's it feels like a little bit of no brainer, but uh, it was never confirmed in a big data set. So it's great that you can kind of confirm that with with big data. Well, so what were the the recommendations that came from it, or is it just at the stage where you looked for correlations and and that was that? Oh, for us, that's what what we did with that study is that and so actually. We capture all that information from our users when they start using our product. So we ask them like, hey, do you use medication and what is your BMI? So what we do with this kind of information, we kind of already can subtype the people that come into our app and already starting with an, an advice that it's more tailored to them based on these kind of big data analysis. So because if you start with okay. without any data, yeah, so it's very hard to kind of know who you're dealing with, especially because it's a remote device and it's a remote app. So if we get that data, so our starting point is just a little bit better and then people really feel better acknowledged and more engaged because they have the feeling that we already kind of know what what their issue is. Well, again, that's great that you get the data, but what's the next step? Are you going to be doing the interventions and suggesting protocols or would you rather work with other vendors or providers that will then suggest particular protocols and what to do? Oh, yeah. no, And I think actually that's a great question because now we're coming actually to what I consider is the core of Sleep Score Labs. So we're not a tracker company. So our main premise is that we want to to change the way that you sleep and deal with your sleep. And a lot of trackers, especially the consumer trackers, they sold their trackers and on the box it says, hey, we help, we help solving your sleep or you're solving your sleep problem, which is interesting because then you open up the box and you get a sleep tracker and then you get a sleep number and that's it. I always compared it with had the use of a bathroom scale. So if you want to do weight management, uh, so probably you use a bathroom scale, you stand on your scale every morning 
or m- maybe once a week, you look at the number, and so and it's great because now you have a tool for your weight management. But the great thing is, or actually the odd thing is, but also the very logical thing is, standing on the scale doesn't make you lose weight. And actually, that's the same for a sleep tracker. Using a sleep tracker doesn't change your sleep per se. So it is a great management tool so that you can understand what your sleep is and uh, that you know that you need to take action. And that's what we're actually doing. So we're focusing on bringing you the best measurement. That's what we do. That's our product. But actually, we kind of flip the model around. So And that's what we've been doing in our app. So we have a few tools that really help you in improving your sleep. So one of them is that we know your sleep because we measure. Then we actually can see what is your most suboptimal sleep or what is your most prevalent complaint in the data. And then we can help you with personalized tips and insights on how to improve on that specific part of your sleep. So that's already built in the app. And that's also built in the hardware. So it's not only about tracking your sleep, but also helping you to get a better night. Um, so it's that kind of intervention that we provide in the app. But we also have, for instance, a smart alarm, which makes it easier to wake up and wake up better in your uh, when you're waking up in the morning because it's better to wake up from a light sleep stage. Uh, we also have features that actually give you relaxing music when, when when going to bed, so to help you to fall asleep and to wind down easier. But now we're coming actually to the next really exciting thing that Sleep Score is doing, and that we're not only giving those solutions and improvement for sleep in the app, but we actually built last year a full physical, or not physical, a full internet store full of products that might help your sleep. And it's not just like Amazon where you type in sleep and you have a solution because what you end up with is if you do that in Amazon, you will see thousands and thousands of products and you do not know what works for you and you also do not know uh, so what is actually uh, a valid product with a proven efficacy. So that's what we okay. also want to change. So we have a store. All the products in the store are hand-picked, are tested by me with my team before we put it in the store. And the great thing is that the measurement of our app and the measurement of our hardware kind of also can point out to that particular solution if that's helping for you. So for instance, if you snore, we notice it and we point you out to a snore product. But if you do not snore, we never recommend a snore product to you. So it's really tailored to you and providing that journey from measuring your sleep into improving your sleep and so without you as a customer needing to put a lot of effort in finding out what the best is and so actually what problem you have well it makes sense you started with the data then you developed the cohorts from the data then the product recommendations what about the um closing the loop though using your device once a product is in place let's say i snore and there's a vendor you like that has an anti-snoring device. Um, wouldn't it also make sense to, for me to use that and for all my, you know, all the customers of the anti-snoring device to use it, use your device to see, okay, how much did it help and how did it help? It's yeah, no, a formal clinical trial, but it's a step in a good direction. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what you say uh, well, 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 is kind of, I always refer to as do-it-yourself research. 
And so, of course, we kind of encourage you also to use actually also again our app to see whether whether you really improve. And so, because that's what you do if you you're on a diet as well. And so you step on your weighting scale or your scale every single morning and to see whether it works. Um, so that's what we encourage. And also, of course, we uh, we we're right now building again that whole uh, data set. And so and that data that we have in our backend will help us actually to improve in the end to see like, okay, actually people that had this problem and were using that solution uh, so showed an improvement while in others it might not have been shown an improvement. And then we can even refine our algorithms uh, so again and again and again. So it's a kind of ongoing activity in closing that loop. And so um, because you need a lot of data to actually make sure um, what you are measuring is really related to the intervention. Uh, because you probably know, I probably know, um, sleep can be affected by a zillion of things. Uh, so you can't have a poor night because you took a little bit too much of alcohol or um, you had a heavy meal or you had a discussion with your uh, spouse or with your supervisor. So um, sleep is very multifaceted. So all the things can affect your sleep. So to kind of really find out whether that single thing was kind of affecting your sleep, you need a huge signal-to-noise ratio, you, so you need to have a lot of data. Okay. Well, very good. So what, um, what's the best way for folks to find out more and, you know, get into the store with all the products and, you know, maybe to contact the company or you for insights, collaboration, questions, et cetera? Yeah, the, the the great thing is everybody can just uh, so visit our website, which is uh, www.sleepscore or sleepscorelabs.com. So it both works. So um, and um, you can always download and start to, uh, to or you can start with downloading the app. It's on the App Store and on of course the Android Play. So you can test it. It's for free, and so you need to pay uh, a little bit of premium if you want to have the advice. But the measurement is always for free. So if you're truly interested and want to have the top notch line of doing a, a sleep score assessment, then so you can order also the hardware. Um, we sell all the products in our store. They have been curated. They have not been made by us, us but they, with, by other manufacturers. And so um, the great thing is that, uh, what I said before, we handpicked them and they went to a full curation process actually before they entered uh, the store. Um, and we have, for some of the products, we have actually a, a, an extra seal, which is a validation seal. And that means that we have proven that um, use of that product really showed uh, a difference in sleep after use of 30 days as measured with objective sleep recordings. So you can go to the shop and already order a product, but we truly actually recommend to uh, use our app and first get a kind of picture of what your sleep is and then let us decide on so hey this is actually where you can uh, improve the most or this is where you need improvement well very good well thanks for coming on the podcast i really appreciate it yeah thank you so much so i hope that um, that, that you found this information yeah, that was good. helpful so thank you you're listening to the future tech health podcast with richard jacobs until i reached age 40 I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, 
cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. FutureTech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.